0: intrude upon your rest, or would you care to talk? What I've learned through your instruction reasserts again that big and small are only the two sides to the one coin, and that the elephant, for all his mighty strengths, no different, basically, to the tiny flea. So still I seek the force, the reason governing life's flow, And not just its external show. The governing force, the reason. Some things can't be known, they are beyond your reach even when shown. Why should that be so? They lie outside the boundaries that words can address. And man can only grasp those thoughts which language can express. What? Do you mean that words are greater yet than man? Indeed they are. Then what of longing? Or affection, pain and grief? I can't describe these, yet I know they're in my breast. What are they? Without substance, as mist is. In that case, man is only air as well. Um... What has made me thirst, then? To be instructed in those things that are more than speech allows. Your thirst is artificial, fostered by the arrogance in you. So look no further than all your human brothers do. Sleep, eat, drink, and let that be sufficient. Liar and foul traitor! Where are the pulse and core of nature you promised to reveal? Where? Faustus, you lack the wit to see them. In every blade of grass. Vile phantom, lying fiend. Faustus Worm, dare you rain curses down on me? Now spite and venom deeper than the sea, I'll vent on you. I'm learning. The devil knows no more than we poor fools. The man who gives his soul to Satan for instruction. I would agree with you he is a poor fool. As a guide to higher truths, I really cannot recommend you. And yet, says my contract, signed in blood, you still remain constrained to serve me. Serve me, then. I will make use of your deceptive guile and your satanic anger. Both will I put at your disposal.
1: Welcome back to the Bio Individual Podcast. Uh, you're with Kevin and Alex. Um, hope you've well, all had an excellent week, having a normal one. I've been trying to have a normal one. I don't know about you, Kevin. Have you been having a normal one too, or things not so, not so normal? Just
2: been a complete. A complete and utter normie
1: i'm afraid yeah it's uh such a burden being a normie having a normal one um uh, did you sort that dog out uh, down the road I, I haven't heard it thus far during this uh, recording which is good
2: I, I couldn't possibly comment on here
1: <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny yeah good idea you don't know who's listening um so this this is going to be in some way i guess a continuation of last week um, I guess, a bit of a refinement. Um, so the, I think the general idea is since we, we spoke about different systems, kind of like different physical systems and what works and what doesn't, and we t- spoke a little bit why certain things work better than other things. Um, today, um, I think we're going to focus on something that is kind of related to all of this, and we're building on top of what we did last week. Um part of what we discussed was the idea of language based systems for change and body based systems for change and today i think and correct me if i'm wrong kevin but i think we want to kind of go through why one probably works better in most situations and maybe the other perhaps less effectively less o- often and perhaps why uh, an optimal system would include both of these things in their proper context. So do you want to maybe kind of uh, add on to what you were trying to get at this week, because you were the one that mentioned that you wanted to uh, dive deeper into this, this, uh, this issue.
2: So we were talking about um, whether you can just maybe it was on Twitter, we were talking about this as well that you people seem to think you can just if you read enough books, you will change yourself. Or if you get enough ideas, you'll change yourself. Um, it's a kind of assumption people make, especially younger guys, because you just don't know any better when you're young. You assume you get in the information from enough books, you eventually will kind of you somehow absorb it, and you will be then be able to change your life and do different things based on based on the books. It's once you get a bit older. I'm 42 now, and I can say categorically that you can read a hun- hundreds of books. I don't know how many books I've read, maybe a thousand, and you do not get, it does not directly change you in the way that you think it might. Um, when books do help you change, you're probably doing something anyway and the book just spurs you along or goes alongside it. It's kind of a delusion to think you're, you're learning and changing from the book, really, without doing anything. So what we really need to do is is to learn to do things that change you. And obviously, books can be helpful for that.
1: Sure, I think part of that story is one of emphasis. Um, And I know what you say about being old, which I am also thankfully not as old as you yet, but I probably (laughs) won't be too long until I'm there. But um, uh, increasingly, as I get older, for sure, the book thing just it never worked for me but it is still important um, in some way. Uh, And I think the story is definitely one of emphasis. Uh, The audience may recall that last week we spoke about all the parts of the human being working kind of in synergy and rather than ignoring one part of what our conscious experience and ways of interacting the world includes and rather kind of integrating all of these different things together, and part of that is body work uh, sorting out diets a little bit of exercise uh, but also uh, not to entirely um, not include the intellect or or reading Um, but a part of that story is is how do you balance all these things together and today i kind of also wanted to talk about why from a neurophysiological perspective perhaps reading and speaking is not as effective as what we think. And I hope that uh, in later parts of this uh, recording, we can go through that in a bit more detail, because I've got some interesting studies here, which is also something I wrote about in my short uh, ebook. Um, So in in your experience, uh, and this is interesting, Kevin, because I'd denied intellect so i i went through that whole binary for a while so i went from hyper intellectual like a lot of guys on twitter and then i went to just fuck it all um i'm just going to not bother reading anything and just practice and just meditate and do stuff like that um and then i kind of discovered that i think both these extreme ends of this binary uh uh incorrect or well there's suboptimal ways of approaching self transformation um what what have you found like in your practice how do you integrate intellect into into what you do
2: uh, yeah i went through a similar phase you know a hyper intellectual uh physically you know like i'm um, tense, muscular uh hobbit patterns. Um, and hyperintellectual, the two things often go together. and then eventually, yeah uh, reacted against that, and went the other way. I tried to get rid of all the thinking stuff. I stopped reading for ages, went from reading constantly to stopping reading really for only a read a couple of books for uh, referred back to a couple of books for for two or three years, didn't didn't really read much at all. I uh, got really into bodywork kind of things, try to throw away all get rid of get us escape from this pesky mind business and all this words of the problem and you're stuck in your head that kind of thing um but then eventually you realize that you you're in a way you're just stupefying yourself if you get trying to get rid of all that. i understand why people do it and if you get into like certain kinds of especially eastern practices if, if westerners get into eastern practices they tend to uh fall for a lot of this as well um and then eventually you realize well you're a human you can't exist without thinking in words it's just something that we do you're constantly making concepts even if you think you're sitting down looking at sensations you have you're dealing with concepts all the time you have a, a conceptual understanding of what's going on you you're not really dealing with raw sensations even when you think you are you're already um interpreting them in some way so you're it's it's uh it's not factually true to think that you can escape these things as a human. Um, but the point is, to, yeah, to get them in balance and to to understand them both. So the way I look at it now is, I mean, you live as a whole. Your life is whole. When you have kind of when you have a thought, the thought is whole until you start uh, putting it into words, and then it becomes and you break it down into parts and and understanding, explaining in words is uh, sequential, whereas the thought is whole, but the the words are sequential and you break it into parts. And then the problem is, uh, well, then the idea would be then to go back to the whole, to use the, the words, to use the concepts which uh, distinguish different things in the world and, and help you plan actions and, and do things. And then you use those words to help you do something in the world again, so you're whole again. You're living as a whole. So there would be a kind of cycle from the whole to the parts back to the whole. The problem is everyone got stuck in the parts, which for us here is is words, thinking and concepts, and they've kind of got detached from the sort of living process. So the mistake people make is when they realise that they're lost in words and caught up in the concepts, they try to just destroy those, to extinguish those. Uh, and then hoping that everything will just be fine without that. Uh, and the mistake, the t- sort of the traditional mistake that's been going on in the West for a while now is the over-the-top words, obsessed, um, you know, the things resulting from a kind of general mind-body split where everything's way too conceptual and way too too much theory and not enough practice and people don't know how to turn theory into practice. Um, so there's the there's basically just two ways of doing it wrong. And the point is to go from what to the whole to the parts and back to the whole to to go from the theory into practice and then back to th- to back to theory with a sort of new theory that helps you with the next practice that type of thing. so um the way I see it now is is rather than try to fix it in yourself right now forever, it's more a process that you're going through where you're kind of um you're using words to do things to accomplish things, and then you're going back to the whole lived world and then you're using words and concepts and uh um breaking things apart to accomplish things and then you're going back to the whole that's that's the way i look at it now
1: so for me uh i look at it in much the same way i i like the work of alfred korzybski. i think that he has a really good model of language um and some of the the problems associated with it and why language sometimes confuses the user as to what its purpose really is but i like his uh, idea that um the language that human beings use is primarily operational um which is to say that there is there is uh, an action that has to be undertaken in space time and uh, language is a way of time binding so communicating to others uh, in the present and in the future about how to conduct a an operation in space and the way that uh, he looked at things um, was that uh, it's kind of when people don't understand that language is primarily operational and don't get me wrong it can be for fun and pleasure as well but it's fundamentally operational it's so you you know you can survive right that's the reason we we have it it's a survival tool but when people uh, basically and it's uh, the famous adage right it's uh, mistaking the map for the territory or eating the menu at the restaurant it's this old problem where people uh, mistake or humans uh, me included mistake the the map that's being presented to us. So our words and concepts, the way that we describe things um, uh, with the territory, with reality itself. And um, I see this as a real problem today. Um, interestingly, I was, I was rummaging through some uh, neuro uh, neurology papers and this one neurologist I was reading was kind of describing um, our language Uh, based left brain which is something i want to talk about a little bit later but and this is it's kind of an oversimplification because uh, you know all the brains connected in all different kinds of ways and it's not like languages just in the left hemisphere it's not necessarily how it works but it's a good it's a good approximation and he was describing that um, uh, from an evolutionary point of view Human beings uh, have quite an efficient uh, modeling and mapping system or a system of abstraction of which language plays a part in this uh, picture. And what he he described as as, uh, hypothesizing animals. So we we kind of go around making hypotheses hypotheses, about the way that things are. And we go out into reality and reality itself either comports with our model or it doesn't. in which case, uh, we're spurred by uh, all sorts of feelings to reevaluate evaluate our model of reality, um, or, or sorry, our model of how we're operating in reality. And I, I like this because it, it does uh, pretty efficiently describe, I think, what's going on. Um, because if you think about it, just uh, from an everyday point of view, you have uh, concepts in your mind, you have ways that you interact with the world. And really, the only time that you notice that um, that something is different is, is when something pops up that doesn't fit into your model. And I think we have this experience all the time. It's, it's kind of like, here is my model of going to the gym. Um, you know, you may expect people to be there, you may expect it to look a certain way. But maybe they replace the equipment one day, they put in some different equipment. The place is dishevelled and not in a good state, and this sets off, um, I suppose, a certain uh, cascade where you're uh, you have a certain surprise about what's going on, and therefore, looking at the new equipment, looking them, looking at people put in new equipment, then you you're setting up a new model of what's going on, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is widely applicable. Uh, to how we operate in the world. And particularly, the way that we use language in this scenario is, is pretty important, because language uh, plays a big part in this, particularly when we do more complex calculations and theories and stuff like that. We need to be a little bit careful. And we need to be a little bit flexible about the way that we use language for this reason, because it is only really ever an abstraction. It's not something that is objectively true as much as people want it to be it's definitely not and we'll go into why this is the case a little bit more just quickly before i uh, hand over there are some really good experiments out there um, particularly in split brain patients which are really fascinating this is where they split the corpus cabellum um, the connecting part between the two hemispheres of the brain And I find it stunning that this is really not better known because these studies really uh, point out um, how the left hemisphere of the brain, which is very symbolic symbol using, it tends to take everything after the fact. So after everything's happened, after all the subconscious calculations have been done, and it kind of models, it, it kind of makes up a story after the fact once everything has been done, which to me is, is fascinating. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, well, I I can't really put much stock into the stories I tell myself uh, about the philosophies that I think, you know, the world should live by this, this philosophy or this model of language, because, you know, in a way um, we're just making up stories the whole time, uh, particularly about ourselves and the way that we interact with reality um so I just thought I'd finish with that if if you wanna build on that or
2: yeah you are talking different. about uh com- confabulation
1: mm, yeah, yeah, uh, I love that word, so yeah,
2: you just kind of make up a story after they the they the, i can't remember one of the examples I read as well was something like they had a stroke and only one side of their brain's working, only the left side of the only the left hemisphere was working um and the they they couldn't move their right arm because your left hemisphere controls the right side of the body, most people. Um, they couldn't move the right arm and rather than just say that I can't move it, they were denying that they'd had a stroke. They were just saying it wasn't their arm. They were just making up stories denying it was their arm and things. And this is just like part of the brain isn't working. So you but they're still there and they have an opinion. So you the two sides of the brain maps onto what we were saying. Early, well, I, what we were talking about earlier about the whole to the parts, you know, it's similar. The left hemisphere is breaking things in the parts, the right hemisphere is dealing with things in holes, roughly. If anyone's interested in this, the best book is uh, The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGillchrist. Uh, it's amazing. Um, again, with that book, people are making the same mistake. Most of the people who like it are obsessing over the right hemisphere thing and making things whole and getting away from the words. He He doesn't do this. But a lot of his fans do this and they're going the other way and everyone's obsessing over embodied stuff and getting away from words and stuff. I think they're misunderstanding him and the the issue. Half your brain is based on breaking things into parts. You're meant to do it. Um, You know, an example is he talks about, in that book, he mentions how birds have the, the hemisphere split as well and in like the metaphor he uses for in general is that the they use the right hemisphere for seeing things as a whole which for them is being looking around so when they're trying to eat something they're using the, the right hemisphere is on alert looking around the whole around the whole environment around them checking for predators but the left hemisphere is the one that's looking for the piece of food that's in the gravel on the ground you know like it's trying to distinguish one specific part from all the other parts but you can't just have one and the other because if you're focused too on the food, you'll get eaten, you'll become food. And if you're only focused on making sure a predator's not coming, you'll never find the food that you're looking for. So you need both working at the same time and this is the reason why we, this is his theory or somebody's theory of uh, why we have the two hemispheres in the first place. So you can do two ways of thinking at the same time. Uh, they're kind of opposites, but you need them both and they kind of work in a process. So this is the same thing for us and if you're wanting to do, change yourself in kind of like a real way, I don't know how I don't know how to describe this to distinguish it from self improvement that everyone talks about, which isn't really um you know, <laughs> extreme self development, let's call it. Um, where you really want to change yourself. Uh, you you have to use both um ways of thinking and you have to um don't think you can just live in the words part without doing the action part as well, but you can't just do the action part without words. So like words are tools as well. They're like, um, we use concepts in order to do things in the world. So like to go back to the, the issue about reading is the, uh, the difference in books and, um, actions is you have to understand what words are for what like what what is reading and write, what is writing so we just this, we live in this now and we don't really think about what it is um the best way to think about it is it's written speech so like i know people write differently than how they speak but it's it comes from speech and we're just, so you have to understand the origins of speech and how it developed in order to really understand what the what the real function of writing is so the child is learns <laughs> to speak at the same time as he's learning um how to do things practically in the world so obviously you don't, you don't you're don't, you not born speaking you the the first thing a child does you know they have a kind of practical intelligence where they're um using object manipulating objects in the world and figuring out how to get things but it's very like based on what they can see and feel right in the moment similar to an ape so like there's a um i've heard it described an ape by a can't remember his name i think i can't remember the guy's name but he says the ape is a slave to its visual field so they can only do things with what it sees. So like, you know, it can use tools kind mm-hmm. of, but it's not doesn't use tools in the same way as we do. It just sort of picks things up and bangs them around based on what it can see. Uh, this is what children do when you're young before you can learn to speak. But then when you learn to speak, you don't need to just, you're no longer a slave to the, what you can see. You can use the concepts to simulate ideas, to make models of possible futures and then try them out. And then over time, the planning, using speech in your mind, planning comes before the actions. Uh, So like the kid will go through the development of, uh, Mm -hmm. learn speech from outside, from other people. It's a social thing. And then they'll go through a stage where they're kind of, if they're trying to solve a problem that's a little bit too hard for them, they'll end up speaking to themselves or whispering to themselves, try to figure it out. Uh, Some experimenters watched children doing this and they found that The more complex the problem was, the more they spoke to themselves. So that shows that the child—they're not just. uh, So the the what the old researchers thought this meant was the speech just accompanies talking, just accompanies action. They're like two separate lines of development, and you're just like narrating a story along with the action. But actually, they're using the speech. A child, a human child, is using the speech, to as a tool. So they're using sticks and concepts. Whereas, uh, ape would just be using the stick. So, um, uh, so the child learns to, sp- first of all, he gets speech from outside, then he speaks to himself. And then he eventually, the speaking to himself becomes silent in his head. We just call this thinking, leaving aside whether it's really thinking most people are doing, but the idea would be, the idea is that it's speech that's become internalized, So you can call it <clears throat> inner speech, um, And then, you know, there comes a time in somebody's life when they no longer have inner speech or outer speech, spoken speech, all that's left is your written speech and um, in books or whatever. So these are useful because you can take what uh, what someone's learned and use it for yourself later. So this gives us the illusion that we can just take a book that someone has written about their practical experiences and things they can do and just take the end product of their life of all this action and just read the words into their head and now we're at the same level as they were as they are now because we've read the end product of all the actions they did the book at the end um people when you say it like this obviously no one believes this explicitly but the fact that people will read a book once and then say oh this book's the best book ever it'll change your life everyone should read this book and then they don't read it again Shows that they impl- implicitly think that now they understand that book more or less the same as the author writing the book. So in what a week or two of reading it, you've now understood what guy maybe took a guy ten, twenty years of thinking, writing, and doing things to figure out. So that's like a a delusion based on thinking that the um the words are more are are the end product when actually they're just a tool. Like the speech that the child learns is a tool that the adult um adults ask it to do things adults manipulate the child's behavior using words the child starts responding to words it does what it's told it stops doing some things that it's told to stop doing something sometimes uh and then eventually it does that to itself so it's like it can now master its own behavior because you tell yourself not to do things and you tell yourself to do things and you go i wonder if i do these things if i put those things together and now he's imagining and making models and simulations of things that aren't there in front of him That don't exist in front of him, possible situations that an ape can't do. An ape is just banging around, it's a slave to its visual field, what it can see in front of it. Um, To be fair, though, most people are behaving like an ape all the time because they're just, they directly try, they have a problem and they just directly try and solve the problem straight to the end rather than figuring out the best way of doing it Um, and taking an indirect method. And that's like one of the, the main differences between humans and apes. is humans can take detours to solve the problem, to get something in a way that apes can't. And how, what is it that allows you to make the detours? It's words, concepts. You can't do it without them. And just to, to finish one one um, related to neuroscience that you're talking about, that kind of proves the point is they they did research years ago with people who'd lost the ability to speak um, in their brain. You know, I don't mean they were saying wrong with their mouth. But they, they'd lost the ability to, to speak uh so you would think if practical intelligence you know using tools with your hands physical physically manipulating the world if that was separate from your speech you would assume when someone lost the ability to talk they would just be able to do the same things they just can't talk uh, or read or whatever but what actually happened was when you give them a new task uh they cut they get completely confused and don't know what to do um whereas before they would have just figured out what to do because they had done things like this before so if it's not something they've done before that they can do an autopilot, they have to think about it, they get completely confused. They try and do things directly. They start banging things around um, like basically start behaving like an ape uh, because they they can't think using concepts and imagine and model situations that aren't there right in front of them. They're just they've become a slave to the visual field again. So if people are trying to become more evolved and more um, develop themselves and their goal is to get rid of all the speech, you're literally devolving to do that.
1: Yeah, that's a brilliant way to put it. I, I hadn't heard of that experiment before. That's, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's kind of your language is time binding, uh, to use Korzybski's, uh terminology as well. I mean, if you want to build a bridge, you're not just going to figure out how to build a bridge and then do it yourself. Like this is many generations of human beings passing down knowledge. And, and building a bridge um, uh, from that, those, those learned lessons and using symbols to, to, to convey that uh, to each other and to you know, uh, further generations uh, down the track. And in this sense, I think, I'm not sure if you agree with this, but I, just going back to the idea that, that language then in a way is first of all, an abstraction Uh, And we do these abstractions by creating categories and we use categories to file information about the world. And then we hypothesize with this information, but primarily the reason we do it is because we're trying to create an outcome. Uh, It's primarily operational. And I think that language has, you know, as Dr. Hyatt used to put it very sneaky purposes because it can also have the opposite effect where we, we can start believing things about ourselves that are self-defeating. We believe them objectively as if they're objectively true. I mean, we all know about you know the studies about memory and how unreliable it is. Um, and it's interesting how the way that we interact with the world in the way that you're describing and using words and concepts also is tied up with our sense of self. Um, which is something I, I did want to get at. I guess the general theme is that language is a is a tool that we use and we just need to be careful that we don't get used by it
2: yeah it's um, it, it's become detached uh intermediary step between uh planning an auction and doing an auction and um, and then becomes attached to people's emotional dramas, and becomes attached to their muscular tensions, and then you just end up in this cycle of, you know, lots of people have the you know the negative self-talk, uh, out of control, you know, monkey mind, as the like, Buddhists or whoever say. Um, so this is, I would say, that's like the the language function being dysfunctional. Rather, rather what I was talking about earlier would be like the the uh, would be functional use of language. Um, but for a lot of people, obviously, it's completely dysfunctional, and a large part of the culture is dysfunctional and you know a lot of people are try to deal with this by going the pendulum swinging too far the other way now and trying to get rid of it all so I find myself rebelling against the rebels uh in this regard uh because whenever it goes one way than the other and it's it's not about being in a sort of mushy gray zone middle area uh centrist position it's not that it's more. You need both, but it's like the process of them both interacting through time. You know, it's not like – it's a a process that goes on through time in the person himself and in a culture, and there's no escaping it. It's – we're condemned to use words. We're condemned to use words.
1: Hmm. I think um, from what I've picked up in my reading – uh ironically enough i guess is that the the left brain i think it really can be seen as a bit of a categorizer like it's a it's it's kind of just incessantly categorizing um and i think it you know as i was saying before it goes around It makes convenient uh categories so we can kind of orient ourselves in the world um but i've noticed a tendency in with people to just build up layer on layer of kind of useless abstraction and during their time of doing this effectively the way that they act in space their relationships uh, their job really how about they feel about their self or their their emotional states they don't they don't really change i mean you kind of get like a sugar rush from reading or saying something or having a a banger on Twitter or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, everything is pretty much the same. It's it's at homeostasis. Um, so in this sense, I think that breaking down language uh, in individuals or, or a period of uh, not using it so much, whether it, maybe that's on retreat for meditation or something like that, is actually very useful in empowering down that circuitry, for lack of a better word, and kind of starting to see uh, many of these things in context. And obviously, one of the ways you can do this is with a course of body work, because it's all kind of the same thing in a way. But I've seen a lot of people online um, talking about how I think it was Hegel or someone like that who's, I would say, a particularly bad example of what we're talking about, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe you like him. I'm, I'm not sure. I've never actually read him. I've read stuff about him. But this kind of um, uh, compulsion of people uh, where they talk about how they've kind of figured out the structure of reality. I've actually seen people say that before, how they've they've figured it out um, by combining different philosophies and and stuff like that. And I think it's actually quite common. But I think for all the reasons we've discussed, it's also uh, quite misguided. And I think that in the strictest sense, uh, all language really is, um, and, and the self-reference we have using language is really just a form of map making. Uh, the maps can be fun, they can be awful, uh, they, can, they can be dysfunctional, they can be highly functional. Um, but essentially, you're just categorizing incoming data Um, And I I hate to reduce things in such a materialist way, but I just think it's a really good metaphor. And um, in this way, I think that we can really zone in on our language and we can really start to become very efficient about how we use it, um, in what situations we choose to use it, how we employ it for other people to get a certain effect. Um, But part of the difficulty in this is if you have terrible maps, which many people do and which I had you know, as a youth, I had shocking maps. And the question is, how do you how do you power this down? Because you know, these maps and these language patterns, and as you were saying, the language how it's tied up with the human body and muscular tensions and all various other things like that, your left brain in this situation is is very much a tyrant. It's It's very much making up bullshit stories, uh, there may have been reasons why you made up these stories as a kid to protect yourself, or whatever it was, but they're not serving you anymore, right? They're they're now ruling you, and you just can't break out of them. And again, I see a lot of self-loathing online um, in this respect. A lot of young guys that are wasting their time with with self-loathing, and and you can see them state their beliefs about themselves uh, online, which uh, I think is a bit of a shame but uh, just to go back um to to the map not being the territory um do you find that your body work uh, pulls people out of that that frame of of the left brain uh dominating them and them or whatever them is being unable to break out of these patterns can i go back to saying you said
2: earlier you you talked about sure. um doing some kind of meditation retreat or something like this to kind of break up the domination of the language you know like the to being obsessed yeah, yeah, by the, the yeah. to power down your the current yeah. models and what you have whatever the get kind of maps uh this um definitely yeah i mean there's loads of things like that, that sometimes you just need to just sometimes you have to go through a destroying phase and then a destruction phase and sometimes you have to go through a construction phase um and sometimes they're combined together it just depends where you are and this is something we'll probably come up a a lot in the way we talk about this, so it's worth saying explicitly for people is when we we're talking about techniques, using techniques that work, seeing if they work, and then using another technique layer and um, not making a technique part of your identity. So this is another mistake people are making. Just because something works for you at one stage in your life, it doesn't need to become your identity that everything's about now, and that's the only truth forever and ever. Um, Some things are generally true, some things aren't. Some things are true for you now, are useful now. Some things are useless for other people now, but might be useful later. Um, So it's complicated about when, so when we're gonna be talking about techniques, that's the way we'll be looking at it. We're not saying this is the only thing now. We're not saying these two things have to even go together. They might even sometimes two techniques that contradict each other are useful. Sometimes even the concepts underlying the techniques contradict each other. they're useful to alternate between them it just depends what your goals are um so (laughs) you think to go back to your question about uh the body work and left hemisphere stuff yeah um yes in the sense of the dysfunctional left hemisphere definitely a lot of the the benefit of getting into your body and and um stations and feelings is useful in the sense that it can break apart a lot of the models in your head uh that are the the bad maps that you have um you can get lost in that stuff and i find it's just like going you know you're just looking at the images and on the wall and Plato's cave kind of idea you're just you're seeing the images more clearly if you spend too much time your sensations as a tool um a necessary tool for many people many times Uh, i just think it's a dead end if that's the only thing the person does Um, So the, the other thing I'm working on with the, the conscious movement practice is is actually using what you would consider left brain, left, left hemisphere ways of thinking in order to change and control your movements. So understanding the mechanics and the relations between the parts and um, distinguishing been really def making clear definitions about different parts what the different parts mean how they relate to other part when I move you know this part forward what happens to this other part so this kind of is kind of unnatural and it's not the way you want to you know you can't feel all these things but you can about them intellectually but then when you come to do a movement then you can use that understanding that you did earlier to change the movements you do now in the moment so again it's that thing of the process where you're going the whole to the parts to the whole so I kind of think of what I'm doing now as more to tidy up what the left hemisphere does well and the problems with it and the sort of confabulating stories and stuff about yourself, Like especially with like posture, people telling themselves it oh, feels a little bit better now, they're wriggling around in the chair oh it's quite good now are they I'm stand, I'm standing up straight and then if you actually look at them standing up straight they're lifting their chest at the front their inner back is carved in their head is back they just look ridiculous like a sergeant major guy like a you know an old stereotypical like sergeant major with a puffed out chest if you look at them from the side they're bent backwards they're actually shorter than they were before literally shorter but they feel taller so that's the kind of um I would consider that a confabulating story that people are telling about themselves uh, so you actually need to use your left hemisphere way of thinking in order to notice the patterns and to get out of your your lying feelings and sensations for a while uh, before you go back into them. And then you can do something, you're able to do new movements after. But in the moment of doing something, like even if it's something basic like standing up, you can change the way you stand by using kind of, it's like using analogies with either with mechanisms or analogies with... Um, sort of movements in nature, all the things are moving. Uh, they are kind of they're they're outside. They'll, you can describe them in a kind of left hemisphere kind of way, but they're really in the moment. They're outside of the left hemisphere. They're more right hemisphere embodied or whatever, and they they're they're kind of alive. But you and you can't. They're not word based. They're not word based. They're more image based or more. Um, sort of uh just functioning as a whole, basically. And you uh, you I, I like to alternate between both of them in the in the practices that I do and the the technique that I teach people. Um different people attach more to one side than the other. So for example, a very wordy intellectual person can be really good at understanding all the cause and effect relationships and the mechanics and they can understand all that in the body. But then when they actually try to change the movements, they just can't do it. They just can't, they're just not in touch with themselves enough. They've never developed a kind of brain body <laughs> connections over the years. So they just can't really. they know what they want to do, but they can't do it. It's very frustrating for them. It's like they've programmed, they've made, they've written a great program and then it just won't run properly uh, for whatever reason. <laughs> so they get frustrated. But then there's another guy who's like totally in his body and feels it all. And it's like every little sensation is so important to him. And he goes into this romantic drama about every emotion Oh, this means this and i'm sensing this and all this stuff those guys have really struggled to try and understand the cause and effect relationships and um they just can't focus on the different parts and how they combine because it's kind of boring reasoning left hemisphere kind of thing uh mm. and then they so they they're too busy trying to live in the whole, and live in the now and feel it all and then they can't do anything to change it either and they have the same problem as the sergeant major guy they just don't realize it so like mm. a guy doing meditation can be just this absurd posture as a sergeant major rigid is rigid a guy can be more floppy and, and released muscles and he's doing exactly the same thing bending his lower back and making himself shorter you know this is very clear if you see some of them uh from side on um so the so yeah i have a complicated relationship with my left hemisphere and with my pupils left <laughs> hemispheres
1: hmm. <laughs> It was interesting. uh, You mentioned uh, definitions. Um, Uh, I was speaking with someone on Twitter about this, and they were saying that, you know, and I like this guy, by the way, this is not a criticism. But, um, you know, as we were saying before, there's this definite tendency online, at least in our circles towards just rejecting language kind of altogether. So uh, as is typical with movements, you have a binary and one group takes one extreme and the other group takes the other extreme. And there's rarely anyone in the middle who just moderates, you know, the two views. Um, But I was kind of making the argument that um, defining words, defining words properly words that you use uh, things that you think are important is actually a critical task and very often uh, we go around using words uh, because they have an emotional effect that we like or whatever it is but we don't actually particularly know what we mean by them Um, and the particular word we were talking about is is power we're talking about power because everyone's talking about the will to power with Nietzsche, and you know, going to be really powerful and stuff. Um, but I just thought to myself, well, I wonder if anyone actually has a personal definition of what power is. And this person made an interesting comment that uh, that they didn't think that necessarily you needed to uh, have a definition because it just is what it is. There's that verb to be. But I kind of made the argument that uh, you know you do probably need to clearly define your own terms. Otherwise, it's just kind of like this abstraction with a bit of an emotional attachment to it that feels good when you say it or something like that. It's not actually an abstraction that's, that has a purpose or that's based in reality or that you can use to properly describe the process that you are going through uh, in the world um so it's interesting you mentioned that the other thing i wanted to talk about is in my work with with cal uh in particular uh the process that we went through together was actually mostly language based and what i find very interesting about this again we'll just refer to it as left brain consciousness or or the the left brain tyrant i prefer is that um I'm just trying to think of the best way to describe it. It can actually short circuit itself. <laughs> this kind of sounds weird, but if if someone is skillful enough with the way that they employ language, maybe the, I like the description that you're, you're employing language like a hammer um, because I, I have an aggressive outlook probably, which uh, that suits me. I like that. But uh, he did uh, realistically use it as a hammer and um You know uh, without going into too much detail about the process uh, you have obviously have the autobiographical self and you know you you state your memories and you know your life and what you think of it what you think happened and um if you have someone skillful enough with the way that they can use words and manipulate emotional states that are associated with what they're going to do with to you with these words. Um, it can actually have the effect of short-circuiting the map that you have of yourself, which kind of seems, in a way, counterintuitive that you can use words to lessen the impact of words. But it's actually it was actually a very interesting process to go through. And from there, I actually did uh, some more work uh, with with no self uh, stuff, and again. There are ways to approach the issue of no self or or of the powered down self that are entirely language based. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a body-based process. Um, it can be a process of skillful language use. And obviously the person is that is going through the process when they when they're really into it and they're really doing it properly they are having bodily reactions and sensations and all sorts of weird mind states. That's true. But nevertheless, words can be used in such a way that you can even have the realization or, or a glimpse of, of no self, um, which is typically something that's associated with, uh, meditating in a cave for 20 years. Um, so, so words are, are very interesting. It's interesting hearing you describe how they kind of work. And I think that kind of measures up with your process in, in some ways that they are kind of quite powerful, um, potentially, if used in the right way. Um, and that kind of makes sense because the autobiographical self is definitely tied up with uh, the left hemisphere. We know that. So if, if someone is skillfully able to employ words in such a way that um, they're seeking to short circuit the ideas that you have of yourself, uh, they can nevertheless be be very effective. And And the approach that I'm starting to try to use is to employ all these things together because I think that they're all mutually reinforcing. In a, in a very excellent way. So the body work is one thing, um, because that's getting into your body and noticing yourself in all the ways that you describe, or <clears throat> say with my breath work, it's powering down uh, the worst elements of the sympathetic nervous system, which of course are all tied up with the left brain and and how those things are, are emphasised. And um, I think that. Uh, when you combine all these different things in a skillful way with the right context, you can have extremely powerful outcomes and outcomes where significant self change could be made very quickly, actually, which doesn't require you to do, you know, vipassana um, meditation retreats for 15 years or something. I, I don't think you need to go through that full on long term process, actually, to make significant progress uh, in these different modalities. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on that as a a general concept.
2: I'm going to come up with a. am going to give a hot take here. Um, Yeah, the I think people misunderstand what is happening when they do things like Vipassana and uh, the kind of watch your sensations kind of insight meditation. I think people think, and this, based on what, just from listening to people, most people who are practicing who haven't, like, um, got anywhere with it yet, you haven't reached it, whatever they want to call it in their tradition, um, uh, and based on the pe- people who, see, who are teachers as well, who seem to who have got somewhere with it, is it's almost like they think if you watch the sensations closely enough, you'll see into the nature of reality. So, like, you'll see the truth eventually by, lo be- watching it very, very closely. The closer you watch, then eventually you see what's really happening. That seems to be like behind the sort of, that's uh, the. This, uh, this seems to be the notion that many, many people have. Not everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I don't think that is what's what is happening. I don't think that one day you suddenly see clearly an aha. I think what happens is you. It's a concept again. This is it's. You have a concept of yourself, and the self concept changes eventually your brain just goes off for fuck's sake, I've been looking at this so many times now, this can't be the way it is. And it just kind of and changes the structure mm. of your, your changes of your consciousness or your relation between, you know, you and the world, wh- however you want to say it. Um, so I think what's happening is again, that's a concept you've come up f- to describe yourself when you were young. There's like a certain, you know, this, um, You need it, you know. To you need some kind of ego self to exist in the world. You know, the child is developing this. Um, And then, what what these things are is to to change your concept. But it's difficult to change this concept of yourself because it's not a concept. It's not a map you're looking at. It's the map you're inside. You are the map. You're like inside this concept. The way you're the structure of the way you see things is is an expression of this concept you have of yourself so you need to change the concept so there's definitely i mean i know there are ways to change it based on words and thinking and contemplating and seeing things in a different way using with words that aren't sitting staring at sensations because as i said earlier you're not actually experiencing raw sensations anyway you're experiencing mm-hmm. um, well, perceptions you're they're already um, you've already abstracted out some things, but not all of what was going on, you know, this Krzybski again. Uh, you um, have all sorts of quick perceptual judgments and things that are happening. Um, and even when, even the like to take the Vipassana guys, they, you know, the three characteristics, you're, you're, cert, you're studying the sensations that make up your awareness to, you know, see the truth of the three characteristics. I'm not going to go into this a lot because I'm not an expert in this. But those characteristics are concepts. So if you're (laughs) seeing the concepts, you're already out of raw sensations and it's conceptual. It's like changing the concept. So I think this is why people can do decades and not get anywhere with it because they haven't changed the concept. And this is why some people appear to just have a a quick awakening or whatever is because they... uh, for whatever reason, they were able to get out of that concept and into a new self concept, which is probably wrong and limited also, but it's bigger than the old one or different from the old one, or your understanding of uh, the relationship between what you think of as you and what you think of as the world is different. Um, many ways to talk about this, various stages of it. Uh, you have to figure out what stage people are at when they're talking about things, because some things seem to be true earlier and not later. Some things are just not true, but they're useful tools, tricks to get you to another stage. Um, so when you were talking about the the using words to deal with the changing the self, that's what the way I think about it is: you're you're trapped inside the ma- that map, and you need to change that map. And obviously, your left hemisphere is the one that's kind of making the maps. Um Kurzybski's most important idea I think is the is the idea that for language to be that the only kind of knowledge that we have is if your language is similar in structure to the world. So there has to be a structural similarity between um the concepts and how they're arranged and then the world and how it's arranged. And you only know whether they're these go together whether these fit together. Based on doing things. That's how you find out. You know, so it's kind of pragmatic in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to go full philosophically pragmatic, um, but in that sense, you only know by doing things. So it goes right back to the reading versus action. You only know if what you're reading works and is true by doing something with it. And it, people get caught up in whether it was right and true or not. But if something changes in you and helps you, and then that's part of the process to where you're doing next that book was useful to you even if it's not quote true or quote right or you think it's a bit you know cringe now you know if you think of some of the books that affected you most during your life there's probably a couple of you're quite cringe to you now but not then
1: yeah.
2: and you would also but you could also recommend to somebody young because even though you know you don't agree with it all now you know it's the right thing for them now um and i don't mean that in like a patronizing way i just mean a dev- developmentally way that's what they need next um, you know, I've had people come to me for work and I've sent them to somebody else that I think is incomplete, but they need to do that first before my thing would even make sense. Not that it's more advanced. It's just that it's different and I'm basing you know, on where, what stage they are at. Another guy would be better at what I'm doing than me if he spent his time doing it instead of what his own thing is. Um, so it just depends. Uh, but mm-hmm. the, 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 yeah, the, so the, the no self stuff, the self, is concept, it's a tool that you need at some point. You know, you need to think of I, as I said earlier, but the child do. Like they, you learn to regulate your own behavior by regulating other people's first. So like you're giving, you know, the way the little kid will give orders. Give me, you know, they'll they'll try and get people to do things. You know, they're manipulating people's behavior using words. They're trying to get things, you know, whether whether they just want something or, or whatever. They they know how, you know, they put the arm up and they get lifted up. You know, they, they instinctively know these things. Then they start using words to get what they want. And um, you, over time, um, over time, you realize that, oh, if I use words at other people, they will help me get what I want. So I could use words at me. So you tell yourself to do things and then you find yourself doing the thing. You're like, oh, you have this whole new realm of actions possible based on giving yourself orders commanding yourself to do things so there's like it's like you've split yourself in two there's the commander and there's the obeyer Uh, and you know this is kind of must be related to you know the idea of the ego or whatever but you need that to exist this is how you regulate your own behavior and make yourself do things that you make yourself stop doing things you want to stop in order to get what you want or to start doing things that you need to do that you don't really want to do in order to get what you want and this starts by using words to to boss around other people uh to tell other people to do you know like the kid telling people this is how the game works and stuff it's all mm-hmm. it, it all it all comes from that and then you're just telling yourself it's really interesting it's not it's not what you think it is you think it's it's not like it was already inside you and then you're just kind of expressing this doer guy you have to construct this self this doer guy it has to be constructed at some point when you're young and then people get lost in that and start thinking it's them their whole self their real self and this is where all the problems come and then this is why everybody's doing spiritual practices to get away from the problems of that but to me again that's just a stage and a process that you need uh and then you by doing whatever practices you kind of you you transcend that but you it's still included you're not like if you really were to destroy the ego and have no self um in the sort of in the normal living sense you would just you could only just sit outside a cave in underwear, uh, getting food from people who walk by, and you know combed your big long beard for you, or whatever. people do that. Mm. So that's not my thing. I, I probably couldn't <laughs> do that actually. I I I got really good at the uh, kind of passive contemplation, meditation stuff for a while, yeah. but you just don't do anything in the world. Um, you know, it's like again. It's, What's the point of being mega enlightened if you're just sitting in a cave doing nothing, unless you're mm. like controlling world events based on the power of telepathy? Maybe there's 20 guys in caves doing that. I don't know. Uh, it's probably not you if you're listening to this. So you need to be doing something with this stuff. You know, it's like, what's what's the point in it? It's like, uh, uh, for for what?
1: you're going to um you're going to transcend samsara you'll disappear into the ether and you'll cease to exist because that's apparently what happens when you, when you do that which i'm skeptical of do that
2: every night anyway
1: well exactly do it every night <laughs> every time i go to the pub um so so <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> just just on on that point you mentioned something about um uh, vipassana in particular and i've always like i'm a little bit i'm a little bit mean to vipassana so this is my hot take uh for the for the night or your your day is this idea that and, and this is all tied up with the self and the misunderstanding of what what the self is i believe well actually i don't believe it i'm i'm almost certain that this is the case and, and vipassana is very very popular and i i don't think it's a bad thing i think that for a lot of people who are hyper rational, and obsessed with words and and all all the stuff we've been talking about, is getting into your body and noticing what your body is doing is actually a beneficial thing. And, you know, there's, there's things associated with getting into your body, that, you know, it does change the brain in certain beneficial ways over time. And I do think that people do still get something from it. But in terms of it being a, an efficient method of meditation, I've always been a little bit skeptical of that. And the reason I am is when I, I had my first real meditational insight. Um, and let me just go into what that was. So So when you start meditation, you sit there and you're taught to observe your breathing. You know, that's the first thing you do. Then observe sensations, or um, well, all those things you get taught, um, and particularly in Vipassana, it's very detailed. You have the Maha Satipatthana Sutta that sets out a very regimented, uh, very, um, uh, very military-like way of breaking down the body. Uh, certain meditations on the the body de- decomposing, and you know all, all sorts of ex- exotic stuff. And um, during maybe the first 10 years of meditation, I just remember um, very often becoming quite frustrated because I got into a position where I'd be sitting there watching things happen. So, so watching sensations, uh, watching breath. And for all that time, I was kind of like, surely something has got to happen something's got to happen why why am i doing this if nothing is happening and um this was interesting because uh, i've heard from people that uh are in a similar position and have been in a similar position for like they've been doing this for like 20 years like observing observing these things in their body and and why i think vipassana is not a particularly good system at least as i understand it and people in the comments can correct me if this is wrong. But it puts you in the position of an observer, observing what is going on separate to yourself. So you are the homunculus behind your eyes, and you're computing, you're in your little computer room. And you're sitting there running scans of the body, which is separate to you sitting in the computer room. Now, in my opinion, if there is any purpose to mindfulness practice, it is to get outside of that frame. So what I've never been able to understand about uh, Vipassana is why the emphasis on that position of noticing things as if you are a separate entity to, to the body that you're noticing. And the true magic of meditation and mindfulness is when you have the glimpse that there is actually no separation, and that's what people, you know, increasingly refer to as non-duality practice. That's what it means. And I think that when you finally have that realization or that that glimpse, uh, as people tend to call it, that's a really momentous thing. Because you have this moment where you where you like fuck like I've literally just been sitting there in a state of delusion like in the very delusion that I was meant to transcend and overcome like that thing is the problem so it, so I've always seen vipassana about sitting there and focusing on sensations like you're watching what's going on that 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 is the crux of the problem is is that. So, I've since come to understand, and you know, you may, I don't know what you think about this, this is my theory that the religions like Buddhism that have all these rules and regulations, and they have like these uh, rituals, and they have kind of certain ways of doing things, like what I've just described, focusing on breathing and sensation. I think that it's all a massive trick. And the reason I say that is because you can have this insight of non-duality after 20 years of doing that, and it could seem like the most momentous thing you could imagine. But it wouldn't have been momentous if you didn't have that 20 years of suffering (laughs) to get to that point. Um, Now, when I meditate, and I look at what I used to do, I'm like, fuck, I just can't even like understand why they made me sit there for that long to try and realize this like it just seemed seemed mean or something but the more i think about it the more i'm like i i actually think that these religions are like a huge like like almost like a street magician it's kind of like a trick they're tricking you so when you finally have that realization it's it's really impactful what do you think of that
2: you mean like they build up? The they build up the problem, so then it's more exactly. So the, the energies can. One hundred percent. So you're in this huge uh,
1: state of conflict, and then when you finally have the shift, it seems more impactful.
2: I'd imagine there's some of it's like that. It's also a trick in another sense. It's a trick in the sense that you you have to engage with the delusions in order to escape the delusion in some way, because you have to mm. you have to work with what you have yeah um and uh, i mean again it goes back to it's a it's a concept you you you're talking about the the homunculus and the the sense of you being in there so i mean you you have a concept there that there's me over here watching the sensations and there's Mm -hmm. sensations happening over there and then you realize that that eventually that concept just breaks and the new appears and you like you change the concept this is where actually it's not different really that different from uh, scientific understanding you you have to change it create a new concept you they're trying to figure something out and it doesn't seem to make sense like that the, 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 they have the facts and the, the things are happening they have the theory about it that made sense until this point then now it doesn't really make sense and they just can't get it to fit with the new facts and then eventually they just go oh they have some kind of aha insight into oh actually maybe it works in this other way there's a there's a new model for it and then they kind of fill out the details of the insight you know like like mathematicians will have the they'll 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 come to the solution and then they have to work out the proof after you know they don't they don't do it in parts bit by bit by bit and then get the result usually it's the mm-hmm. The you know the big breakthroughs. It's the same for this kind of stuff. You have a kind of aha moment, and then you can spend once you've had like some kind of realization. If it's a, a um, permanent one, you can spend a year or something where it's like working itself out, and your things are becoming clearer. uh That's kind of just the new concept is unfolding in your life, mm. uh, and then that's another concept to transcend. And then you know, how many is there? You know, people have different theories, uh, but um tr- at some level you need a trick and just for sheer practicality you need a trick to get people in the door mm. you need some kind of hook, Absolutely. you know like um
1: yeah
2: uh, i mean often people have they have a technique that will work if you just did the technique in a really matter-of-fact way uh with no nonsense but people won't come to it like that they have to cut ca- has to have like bells and whistles attached to get people in the door so there's that level of but that's for people in good. You know, if you're not if you really have something that works, you might have to do some of that. So some of that's definitely built into the, the religious stuff. Um some of it is just misconceptions of old things that made sense much more down to earth, practical, rational way. Um, mm. you know, I have a theory another hot can I do two hot takes in one nice. episode?
1: Okay. Feel life. Uh
2: the um that the chakra system of the different areas of the body. I think that was much more me- uh, to do with, beca- it had a much more mechanical positional um, purpose originally, way back before it became all the uh, the feelings and more mystical uh, metaphors and things associated with yeah. the different parts. I think there's actually, there's a way the body should be organized. I mean, I may just be interpreting this through my own stuff, obviously, now Uh, because i'm interested in these things but the i think it's possible that it's kind of it used to be much more practical and and would make more sense and then it became more mysterious later and people have misconceptions so a lot of that's in the religions as well that's just they don't know why it's there some of the stuff's just to get the person to behave in normal life enough so that they can do the practice to have the awakening without being a maniac or or whatever you know and um you know a a lot of the things you're not meant to do the weird stuff until you're over 40 because yeah. uh, you're meant to prove yourself in the normal ego. You're meant to have a strong ego in the normal sense of being able to function in the world and, and regulate your own behavior and some level of self-discipline and cope with reality and um, accomplish things. Uh, so some of it is to do with that stuff. Um, some of it is uh, just making stuff more mysterious than it really is for power definite um and also it depends on the culture and the people the physiology of the people the climate the culture the food some things sitting down and doing one practice might only take a year for the people where it originated but if you take someone from somewhere else say the west it's like hyper overly rationalized overly left-brained in the dysfunctional sense uh, and then put them in that situation then it might take much longer so it kind of is Cruel to do for them to, to one size fits all, like in that sense, you know. Mm. Um, um, and if someone has really strong emotional connections with certain a certain religion or a certain certain things, some people are better off escaping that and doing something completely alien to them and their culture to advance in the stuff. Other people are better engaging with that and using those words and concepts that are part of their Whole being now, and they're deeply like connected with their emotions and their physical reactions, uh, and using that to overcome that, uh, to using the, those those concepts to overcome those concepts. So it it really depends on the person and their mindset, and it depends on which practices, how old, what other things they're doing, um, and the problem is online. The incentive is for everybody to you know, specialize, pick a niche, specialize in the niche. And then once you're the expert, then to just continue to be the expert specific thing, because that's how you make the money Um, and telling everybody this is the one thing that works. This one special trick (laughs) will solve everything. And that's how you, you know, like that's, it's all incentive incentivized like that, even for people who are good, even for people who are in good, who are uh, teaching something in good faith it's like it's incentivized in that way and plus obviously it's a it's a a beacon for scammers and 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 market uh, like pure marketeers and that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah i i agree uh a couple of things there so i agree with the chakra thing i think that uh, what i've noticed in in my own uh work uh so i've got this new thing where as a part of trying to find the point of biological resonance, at least with breathing, um, which is when uh, the breathing is aligned with the heart rate variability, effectively, it's it's very uh, complex. There is a lot that goes into it. But uh, what what I've started doing is I've started because I am a firm believer, in the same way that you are, that the chakras are kind of like segments of the body that seem to be clusters, in some way, I'm not sure how that fits together, perhaps it's nerves or, yeah, there's something going on there. And probably, from what you're saying, there's a biomechanical element to that as well, maybe as well that I've not thought about. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the actual positions of the chakras, there's, there's key parts,
2: based on the model of of optimal posture, I'm working with, that are key Parts of the body, and I'm talking about bony parts. The, the relative position of the bony parts, you know, where it is in space relative to other parts. You know, is it further forward or further back of this other bony part, uh, et cetera. Um, that there seems to be the, the the those the key areas that I'm teaching in the in the posture model, um, which has a history and it's not my work. You know, it's I'm, I'm using other people's work. Uh, is uh, it matches it aligns up with roughly where the chakras are if you think of the chakras as like instead of a instead of a a sphere of light or whatever it is they think now you know instead of like a sphere and positions and then the the when people try to associate with science they tend to go okay maybe that's some kind of nerve system in that area there or i mean i'm not I'm, i don't mean that i mean the mechanical positions of that area of the body so rather than thinking of it as a physical three-dimensional sphere if you think about that part of the body as like a, mm-hmm. a horizontal plane like if mm-hmm. you were to slice through that part of the body yeah, and then seg- that should right? be in this yeah, position. yeah if you're segmented yeah. like that mm. uh in such a way like that that things should be in certain positions relative to one another in sure. order for the just the mechanisms of the fascia and things to work properly so i'm thinking yeah. it seems likely that people were more closer to that optimal posture at some point in the past at some points earlier in the middle of civilizations like we're talking last time so Mm. you um they probably remember they were closer to it it made more sense to them and then over time as people's bodies deteriorated as their minds deteriorated they 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 just added attached the other stuff later which may or may not be true separately but uh, isn't the whole story about it and um then that becomes, uh, you know, like the part of people's identity. Now they're like, they're into those things and believe those things. When really it was, those were just tools for Mm. people. Were Like, why are we not in good physical condition as we used to be? Okay, this is the way way your body should be. Okay, if you sit like this and do these things and you can get back into those positions, whereas now it's like you sit in those positions and you now you're to have the mystical awareness, whereas before it was to be even more in the physical world and successful in the practical world. Whereas yeah. now it's gone in the completely opposite direction, it's to escape it the hide from another that, thing right.
1: about reading right so you could go and read a book on that come away thinking oh well the fucking crown chakra man and like do all this stuff and you could be completely fucking deluded <laughs> it's kind of funny in a way totally. um so you know as i was saying so in my work and you know i'm a massive self-experimenter as as you are so i've been using my own tools on myself uh probably more than anyone else and a couple of things i've noticed so, so you're talking about the the postural integrity in terms of you know how these segments are meant to sit in relation to one another another way you could look at it i think is the vascular system which is no doubt tied up with posture i'm sure it is now because i've seen the effect of it um and the way that blood is pumped around the fascia and the body and the muscles um and what's very interesting about so i've been using this reiki and kind of model um, uh, about you know progressively relaxing each of these segments together so for example the the face you know the throat chest you know pelvis feet kind of thing in the traditional and and way of doing it and and what's fascinating is the speed of which the heart rate variability, um, and the the blood pulse that gets pushed around the body and its volume, the way those things come into alignment and how quickly they do, by utilizing this progressive relaxation as per, you know, quote unquote the chakras, is incredible and it works better than anything I've used yet. Which you might be. You interested.
2: know, to go back to what we are saying earlier. Yeah, I love this. What we are saying earlier is you couldn't do what you just did without words. So you yeah, you did the practice, yeah. you're doing the physical feeling stuff. And then you come, you sort of detach from that, you take a step back or you um, take a view from above, then you start looking at some data and stuff. But you don't get lost in the data, that. you don't obsess over what the heart and the breath thing said and think that's it. Then you're going back into the practice again. Mm. You've got more information. And now that what you learn after breaking into parts using words and concepts, it comes back into the hole and the hole is now bigger than it was before this is what Absolutely. i meant earlier about the hole to the parts to the hole everyone's yeah. just throwing away the parts but a load of people will find what you said annoying that they'll think that if you're doing breathing these things you should just be getting into the body and living in the now man yeah. feeling yeah. all the stuff you know and you should Combining be the energy that, and stuff That <laughs> science stuff is so stu- yeah you should be into yeah. all that and yeah. and the science stuff is just like that's getting in the way, and that's the problem, the intellect's the problem. People will say, like, the mind is the problem. I mean, people say stuff like that. Um, okay, cool. Mind, body, and spirit without a mind. Good luck with that. (laughs) Um, so the, so the, what you're saying, I definitely think the posture and the breathing, uh, um, stuff are two sides of the same coin. Maybe Mm. over time, we'll be able to kind of integrate the two things we're doing and see where they fit together, which would be cool.
1: Yeah, because, you know, I'm working through your course. And, um, yeah, so I've admittedly, I've not gone too far with it because I've been busy. But um, so so I've I've tried all different positions. So I've tried lying down, semi-lying down. I've tried, um, like, my Zen Caesar posture. Um, I've tried standing up. <clears throat> so I've tried everything. I've tried different forms of relaxation. And by far the most effective is sitting in a meditational posture, which is very interesting as well. So it makes you think you know why the Buddhists originally did this. But that just goes to show. So sitting in a meditational posture, um, breathing in a very specific way that I won't, won't go into here, but a specific rhythm with uh, into a certain section of the body. But the posture is critical. And if you what I've noticed is if you even put the posture off kilter a little bit, it completely changes the result. And I I just love to do more work on this as I as I get deeper into the posture stuff, which is not something I've, I've done much of. But I guess what I'm saying is, uh, as you were saying before, we shouldn't reject science at all because it really is just a tool it's kind of like a tool that you can see into yourself more effectively the the vascular system is extremely important Um, and and i'm seeing how it's important in real time and even with the work i do i use biofeedback uh, mechanisms uh, with people and again that's a left brain activity so they're sitting there watching themselves and they're synchronizing their biology with what's going on what they're observing to go on which i think is exactly what you're doing as well isn't it that's pretty much bang on it's observing yourself and what's really happening as opposed to just
2: yeah i mean it's the the two things is the experiential experiments where you're doing things as a whole in the world you know and then there's the the um understanding that you're deluding yourself all the time we're not designed. you know we talked about in the Mm. last episode you know you're you're, not designed to be pure truth creating machines although we're designed to think we are um so you need to have some kind of objective way to measure and to track what it is you're doing um and then you go back to to doing the thing in the world again uh lots of people who are into like self-experimentation if you look this up online i mean a lot of people are obsessive over their data guy data freaks and mm. they're lost. They're this just they're just intellectual types who are lost in the data again. They're not yeah. really that they don't live they're they're not really that's where their focus is. So they're kinda of more they're more kind of stuck in the intermediate step as I as I was saying earlier. So yeah. um one thing you were saying about the upright the meditation position being mm. better for it's it's gravity. Gravity's mm, central yeah. to how we're designed, Absolutely. how we're built. The whole of my posture, the model I use for posture is based on using gravity to um, make to uh, using movements based on an understand using (laughs) using gravity in such a way, moving in such a way that you can use gravity to lengthen and stretch the fascia. So it starts out like springs and then springs were what help you set up and move around and things. Um, Everyone has them, but we're not using them because they're the, the way we we uh have degenerate structure uh the way we move the body parts together so a lot of the work is to changing the way people move the body parts in order to make this happen but it works with gravity so you can't do it lying down you can do other things lying down obviously Uh, but you you the it's it's designed for for being vertical that's what it's that's what we are you know
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, the, absolutely. the the crown chakra point is pointing up. I mean, this is like a lot of the stuff they talk about the crown chakra. It's metaphors for the fact that you're vertical on the on a planet with your head pointing up towards the light. You know, the sun and the stars. You know, it's like mm. these are like there's like deep mechanical understandings in these things, and everyone's got lost in the kind of fluffy, yeah,
1: mystical, more
2: mystical, stuff. flowery stuff. There may be, in some ways, truth to some of these things, but it's not. That's not the main thing. Again, it's just a different way to split yourself up. uh, What people are doing. Um, So yeah, I mean the the posture. I mean, just in a sort of normal sense, posture will affect your breathing. If you're slumped down at the front of your um, slouched to your desk, you don't breathe as well. I mean, people people will notice this consciously. If you you might even notice if you try and stand up straight and puff up your chest, you can't breathe that good either that way. No. Uh so it's we're, not like but people think that that's a good posture, but it isn't yeah. a good posture. That's a long yeah. story. Um so but having
1: Yeah, sorry, go on. I just um, I was just gonna like, say
2: having something like we're using where you have uh uh objective methods. For me it's using videos and, and analyzing the videos and stuff. So obviously in real life you're not gonna be walking around with little video clips and diagrams on the videos <laughs> in order oh. to move. It's yeah. like autist madness. Mm. somebody can do it I'm sure so you'll let me know <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the point is you use that briefly to understand it better and then to change what you're doing in the whole It's whole to the parts to the whole it's the thought feeling idea aims goals purposes to the breaking into parts with words and concepts and stuff and then back to the whole the whole life again and everyone wants to pick one or the other but you need the process of going back and forth
1: mm. absolutely One of the metrics I've been measuring is heart rate variability, uh, particularly because it's it's being studied a lot at the moment, particularly in terms of longevity, in terms of just general functioning day-to-day and health outcomes over the the term of our lives. And it's positively correlated. If you have a, a good heart rate variability, you live for longer. If you have a bad one, you don't live for longer. And, it, you know, it's super interesting because I've been tracking it in myself in different positions, different postures, uh, taking, taking data, being hyper-intellectual. <laughs> but, um, and, and also uh, engaging in activities, like kind of activities, being online, uh, other stimuli, stimulatory activities. And what I've noticed is, for example, being online is extremely negative for it even even with a good posture and a good rhythmic uh, breathing pattern and um, just being stimulated in general is not particularly good for it but um when you have these moments where you're not doing much and just sitting there being bored i think that being bored is underrated and what i've noticed is when you have those moments where you can just sit there and relax and kind of be bored the heart rate variability tends to be very good, because you're sitting there in a reasonable posture, you know, breathing properly, just kind of relaxing. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a big thing is with, with words and reading, and being on the internet and being hyper stimulated all the time. The more metrics that I look at, the more destructive I see these habits as being. And I often wonder about people's longevity actually this generation because most of the things i think that are associated with technology which could be slouched posture uh you know reading tweet storms (laughs) things that probably anger you as well so you're not relaxed you're in a you're in an angered um uh, sympathetic state uh um the light pollution just all these various things all add up to what I've observed to be extremely poor uh, metrics from a circulatory perspective, which I think, at least with heart rate variability is related to uh, the nervous system and how it's functioning. And of course, we could go into all the downstream effects of this like hypertension, and various other problems that that plague uh, the West. But I guess that maybe there's a slightly different angle on on how words and reading, and some of these activities can have a, a really negative impact on some metrics that I've observed. And uh, I guess you see that in kids, right? They're um, on Instagram, they're on their phones all the time, and they're all depressed, apparently. That's what people tell me. I've never seen a, seen a study on it, but um, you know, people are disconnected, they're mental, and most of them don't really have any idea about what's going on. So, bringing things back to the body in that way, I think is is very useful.
2: And, uh, yeah, I mean you also have a map of your body, like you know you're talking yeah. about earlier, I mean you 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 have maps of the territory. You're never going to have a map of the whole territory. You just need it. Just but the structure needs to be right. So for yeah. for people's breathing, their understanding of the breathing of well, I'll talk about posture because I know more about that than the breathing, but the their understanding of the structure is the the map they have in their head, which kind of just developed uh, spontaneously or um, randomly during their life. Uh, and if it's incorrect, if it doesn't match the reality, for in my in my work of using the fascia stretching the elastic fascia, so it functions as a spring. so you know, that's the like that is an objective thing you can see in the movements. Um, if you if you don't uh find if you don't find a way to change how you uh, to change the map of where the different parts should be relative to one another you know so if you've got a map of three cities and the and the cities are the wrong you know you know east middle west and they're the cities are the wrong way around the map is useless if they're the right way around it might be totally basic it's three dots and a piece of paper but at least there's a good map you know the order of the cities um at least there's a little bit of information in it uh some people think that certain body parts should be in front of another body part so they have the like the the cities in the wrong place and most of this is out of awareness most of this is assumed some of it's just feelings it feels like these parts feel like they should be in certain positions and if you try and change them it feels wrong straight away just Mm. because of pure habit so in that sense you have to learn to you have to sometimes use the maps to force yourself to Change not change the territory, to, but to have a new insight into the what the territory is, and then maybe and then you change the map. Again, people become attached to each map, and it becomes their identity, and and um, it's very hard to let some of these things go. Uh, that's a skill in itself, is to be able to jump from map to map without going mad, uh, without trying to necessarily integrate them all. Um, you can't, or some things can't, some things can't. I mean. Like, if you take two practices, whether it's like um, body body work practices or whatever, they may look similar from the outside. They're doing certain things with the body and it looks similar from outside, but the practices themselves are embedded within a whole framework of concepts and things have different meanings. They have different meanings to the teacher, different meanings to the pupil, they have different or patient, they have different meanings. Um, over time that change within the person and sometimes the concepts of the two practices completely uh, contradict each other even if the practices look similar so sometimes the concepts don't matter and you can throw them away and just do the practice. other times you can't that will interfere with the results because your understanding of it you have a wrong concept of the of what it is you're actually doing um, so then you you've got all the wrong concepts you have about your body and your and your self already you learn some practices that are have you can you can often give your layers of more wrong concepts that you cultivate during in your life that then later you have to get rid of uh but you don't realize at the time this may be a phase everyone has to go through hmm. um and and then over eventually well in my case as I got older I started to become better at um leaving things in their own place okay i can do this practice for this thing this one for that thing Don't need to try and fit them together and i can kind of keep them separate as separate maps because i have a new map which is um is the one where i can use different maps for different things so that's like a kind of meta map or whatever just i'm sounding like a total wanker now but you know you know i mean
1: yeah yeah interesting so I think uh we can look at uh, maybe some final words and uh what you're saying there is and what I guess what we've been talking about has made me think of a, a couple of things. So um I just kind of want to tie it back because one of my main interests is this idea of no self. It's something that I've I've looked at a lot and uh something that I've written about a lot as well. Um, the main reason I kind of want to talk about it before we, we leave is because I think that even though we've spoken about it tonight um, in, in some detail, I still think it's something that people have div- difficulty trying to understand. Uh, many people I've seen just insist, black and blue, that they, they have a self and I'm insane. And of course, uh, we've had uh, the great no self wars. Uh, between various uh, Buddhist online Buddhist interests, who have um, who have argued very vigorously with one another about uh, the fact that there is an immortal self, and uh, uh, for my own part, I, I don't really see how that's possible. And much of the reason I don't see uh, see how it's possible is because of this left brain right brain dichotomy. And how the self is <clears throat> a concept and language language based evolutionary feature um, that hypothesizes, categorizes, and creates maps. I think, is as you were just saying, and you know when I was taught these sorts of things by people like Cal and uh, various Zen teachers, um, that. This kind of concretized self, I think it derives most of its concretized existence, which is to say it's stultified, rigidified existence, the way that most people go through life, operating from the left brain, from language and reason. And this primarily kind of derives, I think, from maybe self-narrative, which is something that we all run, of course. And, and obviously, that then is to do with the default mode network and this left brain uh, dominance, I suppose, that most, most of us in the West have. And I think what what's very useful about body work and what's very useful about <clears throat> taking a step back and trying to understand a little bit better what language is and how that relates to yourself is that the idea of no self and everything we've been talking about today is very much tied up for these reasons. And that all these practices and all these analysis can kind of go together and you can really loosen yourself up. You can you can start to break free of patterns and various other things that, that may be holding you back, behaviors uh, and you know, other things that you're not satisfied with. And there's a real advantage in powering down the self for this reason. It's it's almost necessary to do it because this uh, concretized self is is very much a thing that is getting in in your in your way. I believe to a large degree. So bringing it back to the topic at hand, I think the general point that I'm kind of trying to get across is that language, and by extension. Um, these activities to do with it, such as reading and philosophy, uh, philosophizing and philosophy, uh, when not properly understood, I think that it ends up diminishing your power as a person. And I'm going to tie it back to the conversation I was having with this individual about the definition of what power is. Because I think that for me anyway, what power is to me is our ability maybe to act and kind of act and think in space and time with flexibility and to be able to overcome yourself internally as efficiently as possible if if yourself is getting in the way of what you're trying to do which it often does and it it seems to me that um despite what many people have read that If you read a book that, in effect, you're not really able to do this any more than what you were before, even if you read a book on not no self or or some kind of related subject, is that trying to get over all these self conceptions and all these self concepts? It's simply not able to be done by just reading a book because it is itself a product of the very same process, in my opinion. So looking at it in this way, um, I think that in this podcast coming up, we're really going to be involved in a doctrine, I guess, for lack of a better word, a doctrine of doing and experiencing and kind of increasing our power through acting in an operational way, uh, in an experimental way as a self experimenter. And in that sense, we're going to try to use language in a way that is operational and that does complement uh, this kind of general idea of um, fixing up the physiology, fixing up the, the non-linguistic parts of the body, and then becoming a bit more judicious with our use of language and that we start to see language in its proper context, which I think is, is very important. And all these things, I hope tonight you've seen that they can all be used together and they can all mutually reinforce one another when they're used properly, efficiently and intelligently. So I just wanted to leave everyone with that. I don't know if you've got any comments or last words, Kevin, that you wanted to uh, get across?
2: No, this is good. You summed it up well
1: very good well that's um an hour and 47 so i guess uh thanks for tuning in everyone and uh yeah i believe kevin you've got a series on posture coming up um which i look forward to so
2: uh uh yeah i'm writing a lot now on the Substack and uh daily <laughs> Yeah. So we'll see what comes of it. I might make a book out of it eventually, but yeah, there'll be a se- one. There'll be multiple series. One of them will be a bit posture
1: um, and some other things. So what is it? You're doing um, like a hundred uh, in a hundred days or something. It's like kamikaze stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the plan. They'll be small. Some of the things will just be commentary on quotes and things, but yeah. um, it's things I just need to, I they're not happening because I'm waiting for, I'm uh, being a bit of a perfection, perfectionist about putting them into bigger um, essays or, or book or whatever but really I should just put them out there and then I can uh, collate them later that's sure. the plan anyway yeah. and then plus it's making me do it because I, I, I already almost missed the yesterday which was day two so this is quite good training for my own discipline
1: yeah well I look uh, you know the first um the first one was good being a self-experimenter I don't know if you noticed but I, I stole that in my last part there so it was a good article <laughs>
2: Well, I mean that's I, I, something we're, we're going to be talking about a lot here because it's it, really it's it sounds kind of dry or cold or whatever, but it's it's actually just a way of living. Mm. It's uh, not taking everything at face value, not believing the things you're told, but not try to be a conspiracy guy about it. Just figuring it out for yourself and um take it, learning from other people, and then try to integrate it with your own thing as quickly as possible and and kind of a system for figuring it out and what i was re- what i realized was you can't just become a self-experimenter like that you have to apply it to something you have to do something with it and then once you've done it with something it becomes quite easy to do it with other other parts of life
1: yeah it's kind of defining why you're doing it again it's this definition thing and i think for me anyway the definition is to <clears throat> be able to live a good life <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds yeah. but uh you can't get too tied up with stuff because um you know you you're gonna die soon so you might as well uh untie yourself and try to yeah, and enjoy just, things and
2: we discovered today i'm dying sooner than you so <laughs> yeah you know, i better i better uh, work harder and expect.
1: i don't know with my my australian drinking habits maybe not but then again you are scottish so uh if <laughs> anyone's gonna give me a run for or, my money or it's it's you. half
2: our listeners thought our listeners thought we were irish and south african
1: yeah. <laughs> so now they've
2: just uh, they've had their own aha change of concept <laughs>